it's funny because WeChat is something I've been using on a fairly like regular basis no matter you know where I move both like the messaging and the mm -hmm. moments option and I think the reason why I feel more comfortable with you know making posts on WeChat well less so now because I have like work people on there but mm. <laughs> in general it's because in WeChat for example if someone likes or comments on your photo like no one else can see that unless they're also that person's friend that to me was like a layer of like privacy that was great Welcome to the Geopets podcast, an audio experience to scratch your cultural curiosity itch with three different themed shows, virtual expats, bookish expats, and changing scripts. Today's episode is a virtual expats one where we discuss how moving to different countries affects what we do online as expats or geopaths. I went to a third culture kid event in Shanghai earlier this year and was blown away by one of the presenters, Ting. She shared her experiences living in China, Singapore, the US, and Hong Kong all before she graduated from college. How's that for a geographic trajectory? Ting had, as many geopaths do, a complex mix of conflicting emotions and experiences connected to this multicultural, multi-country identity. More on her story in just a moment. I have some things I need to tell you. First and foremost, the music that you're hearing in the background here, that's from Damon Castillo. I normally give him credit at the end of the podcast, but I wanted to move this forward and let you know that every time you hear that music in this podcast, it's him. His website is damoncastillo.com. This particular song is from his Mess of Me album. It's called I Got to Be Right. You can hear the full song with the lyrics at the very end of the episode. Also, our Geopets podcast newsletter number three is out now. This is a weekly newsletter that comes out on Tuesdays in China, which is generally Mondays in North America. In this newsletter, it's growing and shaping, but generally speaking, I'm giving you some behind the scenes information on upcoming episodes, podcast recommendations that fit into our themes of expat life, language and technology, and so much more. Go to stephfuccio.com to check out the most recent newsletter and, of course, to sign up for future ones so you can get them in your email inbox. If listening to podcasts makes you think about making your own, I can help you. You can get a free month on Podbean, which is my podcast hosting site for Geopats podcast by using this promo code podbean.com forward slash virtual expats. Don't forget the S. And if you are an expat, I am doing a couple of beginning expat podcasters online workshops in September. They're more of a resource dump where I'm distilling lots of information that I've hunted down and used over the past two and a half years of my podcasting life. September 26th and 27th, go over to stefuccio.com and check out the exact time zones. If you don't want to record your voice, but need a voice for either your or your company's project, I'm actually selling mine. You can go to voices.com forward slash actors forward slash Steph Fuccio. What I'm not charging for are the promo spots and the announcements that are carefully placed in this episode. I offer these to content creators and to people that have announcements that are connected to the topics that we're covering. You'll hear a few in this very episode. Let's get back to Ting. Although Ting is in her 20s, her location trajectory is something like this. China, US, China, US, Singapore, Hong Kong, US, China. Is your head swirling yet? Mine was, but hers wasn't. And that's the thing. This kind of frequent geographic change might unnerve some people and even disorient them. But for Ting, it seems like it only 
solidified who she was globally, not just in relation to one nation, one place, one culture. Ting studied economics and global studies at university, and it was the connections between her and her fellow TCKs that attracted her attention the most, which is why she's currently working on documenting the voices of those multi-place, multicultural individuals. I'll keep you updated, and uh, when her projects come out, I'll let you know so you can partake in them as well. Let's have a listen to Ting, shall we? Thank you so much, Ting, for joining us today on Virtual Expats. I'm glad to be here. Yay! Can you tell our listeners a little about your virtual self? Yeah, of course. So about me. So geographic self is a little bit complicated. I was uh, born in Hainan, China, but I grew up in San Francisco and Beijing. And for university, I went to university also in the U.S., but it was in the East Coast as opposed to where I grew up in the West Coast. And after that, I spent about a year in Beijing again. And uh, since the end of last year, I've moved to Shanghai. So there's quite a lot of different geographical changes in terms of that. In terms of my virtual self, I guess it's typical of any other person who has uh, the social media presence on whether it be like US, it's more like Facebook, Instagram, and in China, it's mostly just, you know, WeChat. Other than that, I also have a passion project that I like to present online once it's fully completed, in which I interview a lot of uh, third cultured individuals, such as people, you know, who grew up in a wide variety of different backgrounds mm-hmm. or cultures, mm-hmm. creating this unique new culture third culture that's not either one culture completely or the other Mm -hmm. and I would like to document their experiences their stories especially those with experiences living in China and share it to a wider community of people online that is so cool now is that going to be an audio project a video project or a combination of the two Right now, it's going to be like basically an interview that I'm going to transcribe, so it's more of in the word form. Yeah. But eventually, we would like to develop into an audio project as well because we find that you know it's a lot more moving when you can actually hear the people tell mm-hmm. their own stories. Definitely. Awesome. Well, we have a lot to unpack in that. <laughs> Let's go back in time first. Great. When was the first time you remember being online and the things you were doing online being a huge part of your daily life? Ooh, that takes a bit of thinking. I think, you know, because I was born in the 90s, Mm -hmm. I found myself... Okay, now I officially feel old. (laughs) (laughs) I found myself online, like, really just ever since I was maybe, like, I want to say six or seven. It just kind of happens that, you know, you're connected to the online world. What I was doing online, I'm not sure, but whatever a six or seven year old might do online surfing the web. Were you surfing the web at six or seven? Do you remember any of the things that you were doing? At six or seven? Mm. Actually, no. I think it was mostly because there was a lot of, you know, online games back then already. Oh, okay. So it might have been that, but it's it's a very... (laughs) Yeah. And let's map it geographically. Where were you at six or seven years old? So I was in San Francisco when I was six or seven. Okay. Yep. 1990s. Sorry, I'm like trying to think now. No, I was still in San Luis Obispo. I didn't actually go up to San Francisco till 2001. So you beat me there. (laughs) Oh, no, actually, I came to, I went to San Francisco when I was after 2002. Oh, okay. 2001. 
Yeah, yeah, 2001 or two. Ah, so okay. we were in the same place. We were, we were. As well. Dun dun dun. <laughs> <laughs> Although I was ricocheting back and forth between San Francisco and backpacking overseas, we'll say. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> For the first few years, anyway. So, oh wow. And then after that, what would you say was the, the next? What was the first memory you have of doing things online? First memory I have mm-hmm. of doing things online, say maybe typing something. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think back then at least, I guess just with the computer it might not have been online, but I think in China where English education was a big thing there, mm-hmm. there would be a lot of, you know, computer programs mm-hmm. that helped kids learn English on the computer. Oh, okay. Is that like the tutors, the one-to-one tutors that are really popular now, or is that more oh, those programs? Are, those are way earlier. Way, those are just like programs that, you know, teach you the words. It's more of like a one-sided thing, versus mm-hmm. now it's very connected. You know, you can directly talk to your tutors online. It was nothing like that. Yeah, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Was that after six or seven, or that was before? That was before, because I guess those softwares you can also use, you know, without being completely like connected to the web. See, this is what trips me out about. I like I went through so many different stages of technology that when I meet people that were like the internet's just part of their early, like very yeah. very early years, I'm like, so you never consciously learned how to type. You always knew kind of how to swipe and pinch and do all that yeah. stuff, right? Yeah, so that's why when you were, you know, asking me about my first memory of my presence online, yeah. I'm like, it well, just came naturally. <laughs> I don't remember what is the first time I was born. I was on social media. There you go. <laughs> I'm sure kids right now with the millennials will feel the same way. Right, 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 right. Wow. Okay. When was the first time you remember like making stuff online? I would say sometime around middle school, Mm -hmm. which is probably, you know, 11 or 12. It's when kids started to feel the need to have an online presence Mm -hmm. to kind of let people know who they were Mm -hmm. as a teenager, the things that they wanted to express. So I kind of just followed along with that trend. Gotcha. And were you still in San Francisco at that point? Yes, I was. But I think... Even from the beginning, I was a bit more conscious than others about, you know, completely exposing my identity online mm-hmm. because I just didn't feel like it was a very multi-dimensional mechanism of expressing yourself. Oh. Yeah. What did you feel like was, was missing? I mean, I think even as a young age back then, mm-hmm. I kind of innately realized that, you know, young kids, the person that they present themselves online mm-hmm. is maybe what you think is the cooler parts about yourself. Mm-hmm. It's not, I wouldn't say one-sided, but it's definitely not your whole self. And I kind of felt a bit uncomfortable about that, mm-hmm. which was why even back then I was more productive of my identity online. And mm-hmm. I would say I joined the social media waves, although still quite an early age, at, mm-hmm. you know, 11 or 12, still a bit later than the other kids. Oh, wow. They were on social media before 11 years yeah. old? Yeah. Mind blown. What does one have to say about life before 11 years old to be on social media? <laughs> I have no idea. I think it was just wow. a time when, like, MySpace became popular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People still oh, remember that. <laughs> oh, they do. MySpace comes up a lot. It's one of the first things that people do online. Yeah. <laughs> were you following MySpace yourself? Yeah, I was on MySpace as well. Wow. <laughs> do you remember any of the bands that you... I mean, it was mostly music, right? Oh, no. It was just people posting, you know. I think MySpace, the thing that's different that I still remember, Mm -hmm. clearly, aside from, like, Facebook, it was that it kind of 
made it more easy to express yourself on MySpace and that I remembered back then you can change your background to a different picture, not mm -hmm. just like, you know, your profile photo. Oh. And also, I remember there would be this thing where MySpace, they had, you know, these top friends. And in your bio, instead of maybe you writing something about yourself, mm -hmm. a lot of kids would just have, you know, three or four of their best friends write something about them. And that was like the cool thing to do. Wow. Okay. This is a lot different than I remember it being. That's so <laughs> wild. Because I think I was in my 20s or something when MySpace became popular. Oh. <laughs> and I remember the music. And that's all I remember. I know there was other stuff on yeah. there. It's just I wasn't quite online yet and I was using a dial-up modem and a lot of free AOL discs because mm -hmm. I was like super broke college student <laughs> and so I was just you know my online time was limited so yeah. I was like let's go in and listen to some music and leave kind of thing <laughs> <laughs> wow did you guys have a home computer at that point uh yes I think it became necessary to have a home mm -hmm. computer then Wow, wow, wow. Okay, so between the learning stuff at six or seven, or before six or seven years mm -hmm. old, and the MySpace stuff at 11 years old, was there anything else you were doing online between those two time periods? I think a lot of it we also use for simply, you know, entertainment purposes. Mm -hmm. You read different blogs online. Mm -hmm. That's kind of like how you learn about the world outside of your tiny little mm -hmm. friend group. Other than that, everything else was quite vague, I would say. Yeah. Your maturity level about all of this online presence is already blowing me over big time. <laughs> the fact that before 11 years old, you're thinking about reading stuff that's outside of your friend group. Mm -hmm. Like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Not that I was reading about politics or anything. No. I was probably just following, you know, some girl's fashion blog. <laughs> but it was still something other than what was immediately in mm -hmm. front of you. And that doesn't yeah. happen for a lot of people until they're like late teens or early 20s mm -hmm. or some people never. Yeah, I think the internet yeah. just makes that really easy for people. It does. Yeah. yeah. And not to judge. Entertainment's entertainment. And sometimes we just need to unwind. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I've never personally got into cat videos, but there are a lot of silly things that I look at online. <laughs> that helps you distress after a long yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. Or a long week or, yeah, just long a moment week. where I'm like, I can't think right now. I just want to laugh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, oh gosh, yeah. There's there's so much of that stuff online. <laughs> All right, so do you remember any of the blogs that you were reading at that point? No, I think it was way too early. <laughs> so after that, what do you remember doing online? So you were in San Francisco, and then when did you move to... Oh, you moved to the East Coast during college, right? Yeah, that was way before I was still in San Francisco, I guess, when this happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah, now that we talk about it, I think I remember another thing that was also quite big in terms of kids online, mm -hmm. communicating with one another. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to remember if this was before MySpace or after, or maybe at the simultaneously, but the messaging software on like your computer aim was like a really big thing oh then, yeah. yeah 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 like people would just you know go home and be on it constantly and <laughs> it was <Yes. laughs> right now with so many busy things going on in my life I can't imagine just sitting in front of my computer and having you know constantly messages pop up and responding like mm -hmm. every time they pop up immediately and mm -hmm. just it's going on for like hours until you have to sleep but that was basically what a lot of kids did back then too because yeah. it was a way to stay connected with mm -hmm. their friends after school mm -hmm. as well as it was a great way to just 
you know, get to know someone、mm-hmm. a lot better because、mm-hmm. you have all this time where you can just talk to one another on AIM. Yeah. Now, in the chat rooms, were you in ones that were like small groups or was it usually more of a one on one communication? AIM was usually a one on one communication,、mm-hmm. I remembered. And those are still on computer. Let me think. We're still in the beginning of the tooth, in the early aughts, right?、Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of when mobile phones became ubiquitous. Jeez. Well, they were always there, but I think back then texting was still like a thing. People didn't、oh, use it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> texting. I love talking to Europeans and Asians about texting. <laughs> really? Why is that? Oh my gosh. Because there's such a different. Flavors of it.、Mm-hmm. I mean, even just the terminology at all. Like, what for some reason I had this time period where I liked dating British guys.、Uh-uh. <laughs> and I, I love the fact that they were just the terminology was off.、Mm-hmm. It was like text, you know, text message versus SMS for some reason made a big difference. Yeah. And instead of flirting with someone in person, a lot of times, not always, they would flirt after they met you via text message. Ah,、uh, right. And so there's the, there was these little differences that were like, okay, that's weird. Boom. But that's still flirting. Okay, I'm, I'm fine. We're good. <laughs> So yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I went, I don't see when I. No, because when I moved to Vietnam, I had such a crappy phone. Not because of Vietnam, because I was a broke English student, English、uh. teacher. And it was text message, it was pre mobile, pre smartphone.、Mm-hmm. But I don't. No, I don't remember any big differences there. But I feel like development with technology happened really, really fast in a lot of Asia. Yeah, I think. Well, I wasn't, I wasn't in Asia at the time,、mm-hmm. but I think, as with anywhere, like, you know, you kind of still remember when flip phones was like the big deal, and all of a sudden they're gone. <laughs> <laughs> What was your first phone? My first, I think it was probably one of those、mm-hmm. really simple Nokias. And then I kind of upgraded to one of those flip phones.、Mm-hmm. Then it was like those slider phones that were really popular. I never had a slider. Were、oh. the sliders blackberries?、Right? No, blackberries,、okay. they were more like mini tablets, but sliders、mm-hmm. is like where your keyboard is like hidden under your phone if you slide it back. Oh, okay. So those were especially made for texting because it kind of feels like a mini little keyboard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, I would have loved that. I think I, think I was overseas with the Nokia brick, the one that you just could throw against everything and it、oh, would never yeah, break. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> those were fantastic. They supposedly brought them back last year. Oh, but for I haven't. Sake. Yeah, yeah. But now smartphones are so popular here that I haven't even looked because I'm just like. <laughs> it's almost like the. I don't even know what to call it. It's a phone that you flip open like this and then it looks like a tablet, but it's、uh-huh. a little smaller. Oh. I forget the terminology. It looks pretty cool though, but it's not as clunky as a tablet. It's very, very new.、Uh, okay. And I want to say Huawei has one out right now, but、mm-hmm. I cannot remember what they're calling that kind of phone. Because、uh. it's just like screen and screen, and you just flip it up and down. Or you can just use it when it's closed, like just the top. Oh,、part. okay. It's really cool looking. <laughs> I guarantee you, I will not get the first five versions of it just because it'll be that expensive, but it yeah, looks really cool. Technology's <laughs> moving too fast. <laughs> Seriously. Okay. Oh, sorry. So we're in the chat rooms. <laughs> And then we're really going to scratch your brain on all this stuff. <laughs> yeah, I'm like trying to think. Chat rooms. Again,、mm. It was just more of a mechanism to kind of engage with friends and see what they're up to. 
Although I do remember there was this really popular website back then. It was kind of like, so it's basically like F my life. <laughs> and then <laughs> on it would just be little blurbs of people talking about the things that's like, you know, really funny that went on. And then yeah. the end would always be like, you know, F my life because this thing happened. <laughs> And I don't know why it was so popular then, but it was like a big thing among teenagers because I guess when you get home and you just read about the different things that are that went wrong with other people's life, mm-hmm. you somehow feel a little bit better about yours, I think was the psychology behind it. I believe that. I would have read that. Yeah. I probably would have read that early or through most of my 20s too. <laughs> You're like, yeah, like, so you know, it would be like, the bad things that happened but then it would also be like really funny and they would be really short like one blurb would only be three or four sentences or like some it could even be like one or two yeah yeah, yeah. but yeah it's just those things that you can kind of lose track of time when you're flipping through Mm -hmm. yeah Oh yeah, bless you. For some reason, I'm thinking of my Perez Hilton moment when uh, I was, like following his his blog for a while, and I'm like, "Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this?" Suddenly, an hour later, I'm like all caught up, and I'm yeah. like, "Why do I need to know this stuff?" <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, so where did you move to? East Coast was for college. Yeah. So before that, I was in Beijing, but college was in North Carolina. Okay, wait. So San Francisco and Beijing. Yeah. So you were in San Francisco until what age? Till I was around 14. 14. And yeah. then you were in Beijing until what age? Till I was 18 or 19. Wow. Okay. So when you made the shift, whew, from <laughs> <laughs> so you went from China to the U.S. to China mm-hmm. to the U.S. to China. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and if we're getting really specific, yeah. uh, in college, I also spent about one year of it in Singapore mm-hmm. and half a year in Hong Kong. <laughs> okay, so we've got China, oh, there's a lot to US, China, I know, but I'm like, I don't want to mess this up. But yeah, okay, so, so China, U.S., China, Singapore? No, U.S. then Singapore. U.S., Singapore. Hong Kong. I'm laughing because... I really like it when people have more complicated geography than me. (laughs) (laughs) Makes you feel a little bit more normal. Well, no, no, no. It doesn't make me feel more normal. It makes me feel less abnormal. Uh, Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I don't, oh, you're weirder than me. Not that kind of thing. But just like, if you said, where are you from? And I giggle, you'd kind of know why that's a really hard question. Yeah. And that's a relief to me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so China, U.S., China, U.S., Singapore, Hong Kong. U.S. U.S. China. China. <laughs> and you are not old enough to have all of this already. Okay. <laughs> no, you are. I'm just kidding. Okay. So, so far we've got China, U.S. So then when you came back to Beijing, mm-hmm. was there any big shift in what you were doing online? And that was 14 years old. So Yeah. yeah. I would say I used, I kind of was online more, but I wasn't doing that many things mm-hmm. online anymore. Basically as a kid, you know, like, and this goes into like other issues too of like, you know, how do you deal with living in a new environment mm-hmm. and adjusting to the new school system. So I think mm-hmm. I was using a lot of time to adjust to the new environment. And there was a lot more different things for me to pick up in school. Mm-hmm. So that was where I had to like really put a lot of my focus. So I didn't find myself online that much anymore. But when I was online, I think I was still just using AIM a lot to Mm -hmm. talk with my friends, to Mm -hmm. stay connected 
with these childhood friends that you know were still in back in the U.S. Mm-hmm. and that was really just became a mechanism for me to like remain connected and not feel so alone. Wow. Okay, so you came back to China at the beginning of high school. It was around the end of middle school. End of middle school. Well, the middle school in China is a bit different. It goes on mm-hmm. all the way till the ninth grade, whereas in the U.S., high school begins in ninth oh, grade. Oh, okay, yeah. okay, okay. For the listeners, that's the Chinese college entrance exam, mm-hmm. and then go to university here. Well, actually, when I came back, there was the problem of my Chinese not being very great anymore, mm-hmm. and I think my parents really wanted me to be able to pick that up again.、Mm-hmm. So when I did come back, instead of maybe going to an international school, they put me in a local school,、mm-hmm. which was a very hard transition <gasps> for me because、yeah. immediately, like the whole academic culture. Everything was just completely different,、mm-hmm. and because my Chinese wasn't up to par, I kind of have to drop down by a grade. So in the U.S., I was already you know halfway done with ninth grade,、mm-hmm. but、uh, having come back here, I kind of had to like pick it up at like eighth grade. Yeah. So I was back in middle school, and that was where I had to really adjust to being back in this environment. It was a lot of reverse culture shock, and. You know, Gaokao is like very stressful. But、mm-hmm. even in middle school, you have what you have called the Zhongkao, which is also a very stressful exam that you have to take、oh. in order to get placed into top-notch, you know, high school. Oh, okay. So I would say, although probably not as stressful, you still spend maybe like a semester doing nothing but practicing exams for it, which was I was not a big fan of. Wow. I don't know about you, but the first time I was exposed to the term and the population, more importantly, of TCKs, third culture kids, was about two years ago.、Uh, it's when I was exploring a lot of cultural channels on YouTube and following a lot of folks who spoke, spoke multiple languages on social media. Soon after this, I met Tanya Crossman, who has so many different hats that I'm going to let her explain what, who she is and what she does. Hi, I'm Tanya Crossman. I'm a cross-cultural consultant working with international schools and other international organizations, but I'm most well known as the author of Misunderstood: The Impact of Growing Up Overseas in the 21st Century. In Misunderstood, I explore how growing up between countries and cultures and languages impacts the way a young person sees and understands and experiences the world around them, and how this different experience. Can create tension or misunderstandings between them and friends and family who didn't share that same cross-cultural childhood experience. I wrote it partly for young people who grew up this way to see that it's not just me. I'm not the only one. Other people feel the same way I do, and I make sense in this context. But I also wrote it for parents who felt anxious and stressed and even guilty for bringing their kids overseas. And worrying what this was going to do to their kids long term. So I interviewed and surveyed hundreds and hundreds of TCKs about their experiences, so I can say to parents, "Look, I don't know what your specific kids going through, but here's what hundreds of other kids in similar situations have said about their experiences. The book is full of their stories, what's helped them and what hasn't." What support they need from the adults in their lives. I love talking about this stuff. I love talking to parents, to TCKs, to anyone in this cross-cultural world. So you'll find me all over social media. I'm on Twitter as Tanya TCK. I'm on Facebook and Instagram as Misunderstood TCK, and my website is MisunderstoodBook.com. Misunderstood is available as a paperback and an ebook, pretty much everywhere online. Since reading this book, I have recommended it at least once every few weeks, and I have actually. Sent 
the book to two or three different people who are parents of TCKs. And I do believe that actually Tanya and Ting are now connected as well. So yeah, if you or someone you know is interested in the TCK experience or just wants to know more about this interesting life that people like Ting lead and the advantages and disadvantages of that and the emotional side of it, then I highly, highly, highly recommend Tanya's book. Did you get that impression yet? (laughs) Her collecting and projecting the voice of that population, which she is actually a part of as a TCA, third culture adult, is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Speaking of TCKs and TCAs, let's get back to Ting. It sounds like you didn't have time for a lot of online stuff except for keeping in contact with your Mm -hmm. friends back in the U.S. Yeah. All right. So when did you decide to go back to the U.S. for college? (laughs) Yeah, so after I completed middle Mm -hmm. school and went through with the Mm -hmm. (laughs) my parents decided to send me to an international school again because Mm -hmm. they could kind of see that, you know, although I was getting more used to my new surroundings, I wasn't completely very happy Mm -hmm. so they thought that it might be better if I went to international school and Mm -hmm. then went to a university in the U.S. Mm -hmm. for my education because they thought it would just be the more environment that was more fit for me so yeah after going to international school I went to the U.S. in North Carolina. Okay well let's stay with the international school for a minute. Yeah. So did you have more free time (laughs) when you switched from the local school to the international school? Well, yeah, I had more free time, Mm -hmm. but in international school, it was a boarding school. Mm -hmm. So basically, lights went out (laughs) at Uh, a certain time every night. And there was like a bit like strictness around, you know, what you could do after Mm -hmm. that. And since it was boarding school, our schedules was also a bit Mm jam-packed. in that you did have a lot of like breaks in between, but classes or, you know, self-study sessions, they can go to like eight or nine. <laughs> wow. Did you have a mobile phone at this point? Yes, I did. Okay. But I-, I remember this transition quite clearly, actually, mm-hmm. even in middle school, like I could see that a lot of my friends were getting smartphones. Mm-hmm. But I think at that time, I couldn't completely really grasp what a smartphone was or mm-hmm. what the difference was. So never like really bothered me but I would say that the one thing that really you know attracted me to like feel like this is a necessity to get a smartphone was when WeChat became really popular and everyone was using WeChat Mm -hmm. to communicate with one another yeah and if you didn't have a smartphone you didn't have WeChat and that was just like well you know when everyone in your class had these like groups on there how do you be included I hadn't thought about that because my first time in China, I was in Nanjing and it was um, probably nine years ago at this point. Mm-hmm. And we did have a, what is now called a dumb phone, which is so rude because it, <laughs> it was functional, but yeah, it did the basic phone yeah. things. But yeah, when WeChat came up, you had to have a smartphone. Exactly. Wow. What a way to get the market going. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to WeChat. <laughs> wow. I hadn't even thought about that. Wow. Okay. So at that point you wanted a smartphone. Exactly. And I try to tell my parents mm-hmm. that because obviously, um, especially in China, even if you're, you know, at the age where most U.S. students, they kind of like work for their allowances. Mm-hmm. And China is quite different. So I still had to like kind of ask my parents for permission to buy mm-hmm. a lot of things. And they weren't a big fan of me getting a smartphone because mm-hmm. they thought it was just like distracting. Like, why are you so caught up in this focus? 
on school, that kind of thing. But I just think they didn't realize it because the WeChat craze, I think, caught up later for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. so they didn't understand the importance of it. But eventually, I ended up scraping enough money to get, like, a smartphone. Yeah. To break the timeline for a second, when you travel and meet people that have not been exposed to WeChat, how do you describe it to them? Because I always get a little flustered because it's so many things. Yeah, it is. Right now, honestly, it's become so big that, like, it's hard to meet people that don't quite grasp what WeChat is anymore. (laughs) But I guess, hypothetically, if I did, I would just say that, you know, it's a messaging social media platform. Mm -hmm. But, like, there's also a lot of other functions that you can do on WeChat, Mm -hmm. you know. And it's also a huge mobile payment system um, that makes life a lot easier for Mm -hmm. many people. Mm -hmm. So it's just this super app that's all in one. Yeah. Oh, you lived in San Francisco. Okay. Yeah. Was Craigslist used a lot when you were there? The website Craigslist? I heard about it a lot, but I think at that age, I didn't really need to like sell anything. That's incredibly true. You wouldn't have needed apartments to look for apartments when you were a kid. You wouldn't have needed to look for... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, I moved there after university. So for me, it was like every question I had, people said, oh, you should check on Craigslist. I feel like WeChat is that answer. Oh, really? Yeah, only you wouldn't actually ever answer because the first time you get it on there, then you just know. Exactly. Yeah. Too funny, too funny. Okay, so you left China then, and you went to the East Coast, which is a huge (laughs) cultural shift. It is. Yeah. I think I I wanted that because I do realize, you know, West Coast, it's a completely different Mm -hmm. culture, and I just, I was ready to, you know, experience something new. Yeah. Did you see if people were using online stuff differently there? from the west coast also or was it just the real life stuff that was different i think too much time has passed Mm -hmm. between like when i was in the west coast to make that comparison fair enough so i wasn't sure but for me personally Mm -hmm. coming back to the u.s i remember just first month of college i just made a facebook and apparently that was also way later than everyone else (laughs) (laughs) because even the timing when I left San Francisco was mm-hmm. interesting because that was when the shift from MySpace to Facebook mm-hmm. was starting to happen. Very gradually, you know, people were, it was still this very new thing. But yeah. people were like, oh yeah, I found this, you know, other social media platform. I'm on it. Like, you should add me. Mm-hmm. But I think I'm just slow in these kind of things. Like, even when I heard <laughs> about it, then I was like, eh, it just didn't really hit me as like a thing that would become this big nowadays. Yeah. Oh, I didn't expect it either. <laughs> and you had to have a like a university.edu address or something at first. And then oh, really? they just got rid of that. Yeah, you had to be invited in. Oh, yeah. yeah, and, yeah. And I remember the Facebook movie. <laughs> yeah. And so I went through all that and was like watching, watching, watching. And I'm like, I have a college address, not that college. Okay, wait, wait, wait. And then finally. Yeah. 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 So it was like a slow. Ro- it was really clever on their part. I don't know if that was intentional. Yeah. But that anticipation definitely, I think, made people want to be on it exactly at, at first yeah so what year are we talking when you moved back to to the u.s it was 2013 i think 2013 oh that's very recently yeah wow okay so what did you find yourself doing online then facebook and oh well i think as a freshman in college what you're doing online is just a lot it's just from you know procrastinating watching YouTube videos to just <laughs> a lot of it is just your coursework. Mm-hmm. 
being on the university course website, just trying to get all of your studies together and like mm-hmm. trying not to freak out about the amount of work that's just like piled on top of you. <laughs> and the amount of courses you're supposed to take every semester. Exactly. I mean, like, it's nuts. Yeah, you look at it and you're like, oh, it's not a lot. It's five. It's fine. But then you realize the workload <laughs> that follows. Yeah. <laughs> And midterms and finals happening about the same time for all five exactly. classes. So just, it's like the yeah. system is made to be stressful. It <laughs> is. It truly, truly is. And it's, yeah, there's no other experience quite like it after university. Exactly. <laughs> no. no. That prepared you for the real no. it, Yeah, it definitely makes you a, a tougher person if you survive. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so after your freshman year, like anytime during your university experience, do you remember any of your favorites? My favorites? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, like we discussed a bit earlier, a lot of times it's like you need to find videos mm-hmm. that kind of just allowed you to just really detox mm-hmm. and like not think about anything. And they can be stupid, but they can be like really funny. Oh, heck yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I think a lot of it was just comedy channels that mm-hmm. I would like watch, you know, some of the big YouTubers who are comedians. Mm-hmm. Also, I think it was Saturday Night Live. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Those are just like the skits that I really enjoyed watching, as well as like different parodies. Like they did nothing for my brain cells, but you know, they were critical for my sanity. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so after or at the same time as Facebook, what other social media did you start taking part in? I think, well, I don't consider myself a super big social media person, mm-hmm. and I think. Facebook was enough to get me to be functional and not completely <laughs> like a caveman. So <laughs> I think it was just Facebook at the yeah. time. And I, as I mentioned, I'm slow with these things. Like even though Instagram was already a bit popular then, mm-hmm. I kind of resisted getting Instagram until a lot way later. Last year for me. <laughs> <laughs> I tried it early on and I was like, eh. Because I had, tw- I was a massive Twitter person, um, and I had gone on and off Facebook. I was off Facebook for ten years until like last month. Wow! So I, I had my main source, and I was like, I'm good. I don't want another one. I don't want another. <laughs> exactly. Rent. You want to just have a main source so you don't waste all your time. Yeah. All which is so easy to do. Exactly. So easy to do. Yeah. So I wanted to just streamline it and just have one, but Twitter kept getting blocked for me last year. So I started going over to Instagram because you can post to Twitter yeah. via Instagram. So I'm like, okay, fine. Well, you guys are sorting out why you think I should be kicked off for a while. I'll go do this. And, and yeah. then I got addicted to the videos and the pictures. Uh-huh. I really found that a lot easier than just constantly clicking and reading articles. And I yeah. was like, oh no, what is happening <laughs> to my brain? A new addiction. <laughs> so yeah, so streamlining on Facebook sounds like a really smart choice to <laughs> As a college student with, yeah. with a time budget, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's see, 2013. So when did you leave college? Well, four years later, so 2017. You did it in four years. <laughs> wow. Well, I think that's expected because um, I had some people that I knew that just, they were so ready to work, did it in three. What? Yeah. With what majors did these? What, what? Oh, like not really hard majors too, but I think they were just like, you know what, we're ready to be done. Those are the Gosh. high achievers that took like eight classes a semester. <laughs> Oh my god. Eight? Yeah. Oh my god. I went to a polytechnic school and I was around a whole bunch of engineering students who took like three or four mm-hmm. and still like a semester because the courses and the labs were so intense Oh, that it took 
there were a lot of people, let's just say, who went beyond four and five years. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> just for sanity's sake of being able to do and retain everything. some of the information or their things. Yeah. Like yeah. Yeah. Everyone is different. Three years. Wow. Yeah, I was so not that high achiever in high school or even in college. I always wanted to just explore and share and learn about other cultures and other people and other things. And one of the things that I've been learning about for the past couple of years has been podcasting. She podcasts. I have two Facebook groups because one's not enough, so I suppose that's high achieving. One is the general group that anybody can join, and another one is a $5 fee. It's called their Super Squad group, and I'm in that group. I love that group. The attention that they give us is is just insane. It is a lifeline to have that smaller community of women podcasters that understand the trials and tribulations of trying to have a female voice be heard. Hi, this is Jess and Elsie. And we wanted to take a quick moment to tell you all about the upcoming podcasting event that we created just for women called She Podcasts Live. She Podcast Live is being held this October 10th through 13th in Atlanta, Georgia at the world-famous Atlanta Marriott Marquis. And it's going to be an absolute one-of-a-kind experience that caters just to women podcasters and those who are thinking about podcasting. We started with choosing a hotel that not only has amazing ambiance and a four-star spa, but hotel rooms with optional aromatherapy, circadian lighting, air purifiers, and an alarm clock that simulates the dawn. We then created the content to be chock full of sessions that are specific to women's needs, confidence, fear, supporting women through podcasting, the power of being unique, work-life balance, and more. Optional morning yoga sessions. Of course, we'll still have sessions about editing, social media, monetization, and growth. And every session is being taught by a successful woman podcaster who has immense experience and knowledge in their topic of expertise. Some examples... Women from Edison Research, Simplecast, Podfun, Google Small Business, The Moth, Blueberry, Himalaya, PRX. We've loosened up the schedule for more social and sleeping time and planned some amazing parties. So get out your phone and type podcaster to 66866 to learn more about She Podcasts Live or go to ShePodcastsLive.com and we will see you there in Atlanta. Hurry up and do it. <laughs> All right, all right, all right. Let's get back to Ting and her story and her documenting TCK voices in her own project. Okay, so after 2017, Singapore. Oh, you know, Singapore Sing- was in college. It was for exchange. Ah, so okay. that was actually so 2015 okay. to 16, yeah. And that was like a school exchange or just a yeah, break? school exchange. Okay. What were you studying? Well, I've changed my major like a million times coming into college. Me I too. Went Welcome in. to the club. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm glad there's a club. <laughs> so I went in as an econ major. Mm. And then after about, you know, four or five switches, I decided to study global studies, which is like international relations. Yeah. Because that's a topic that just really drew me and I felt mm-hmm. like would be fit for uh, my experiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was after that that I kind of decided that, you know, North Carolina is great, but probably not the best place to expose myself to international elements. So I was like, well, yeah. I think I wanted to study abroad. And since my area of focus at the time was Asia, mm-hmm. I chose Singapore. Mm-hmm. And Singapore just it stood out to me because I visited once prior and mm-hmm. you know, it was just really known as like the cultural melting pot of Asia mm-hmm. with so many different 
people living peacefully side by side mm. and just a harmony of different cultures just living with each other and just, mm-hmm. yeah so it, it just it was a huge appeal to me at the time yeah so what was it like going from North Carolina to which is not terribly multicultural to <laughs> to Singapore that is pretty international right? yeah very multicultural and international mm-hmm. Oh, I felt like <laughs> I was liberated. One. <laughs> I think it has to do with the fact that I'm still like a city person. Mm-hmm. So just being back in a city again was like a huge relief to me. Yeah. Being able to, you know, be exposed to all these different types of people, mm-hmm. especially on an exchange program, because as exchangers, you have this community where you have people from all around the world. Mm-hmm. And... I think that really opened up a lot of my worldview because back, you know, back then, whether it be China or the U.S., mm-hmm. all my friends were just either Chinese or American. I wasn't exposed to as many other cultures. Gotcha. Other than that. Okay. Yeah. And that kind of just blew that open. Exactly. So. I want to geek out about two things. One is when you went from Beijing back to the U.S., did you continue to use WeChat? Even yes. though you were in the U.S.? Okay. Yeah. And then when you moved to Singapore in 2015, as an ex-teacher, I really want to ask you to yeah. compare the use of technology and the internet in yeah. both the U.S. versus Singapore. I would say there wasn't, like, a huge difference. Mm-hmm. But one thing that was different in Singapore versus, I guess, the U.S. or China is that, you know, WhatsApp is... A very huge thing, mm-hmm. you know. Anyone you meet, you would just ask for their WhatsApp, mm-hmm. and that was just also when I had to like the first time I had to get WhatsApp mm-hmm. and um, figure out how to use it. But WhatsApp struck me as a more private uh, communication mm-hmm. mechanism as opposed to like you know maybe Facebook mm-hmm. or like WeChat because all these were connected to like the different photos you shared and your online presence mm-hmm. as a whole. Whereas WhatsApp was just. It was simply a way to replace text, and it did nothing much more. <laughs> That's a really, really good point. I've just gotten on WhatsApp recently. That is a really, really good point. Yeah, because it's just between either the person to person or exactly. the person to group. Yeah. And it's not exposed to the world. Mm-hmm. Why is Facebook exposed to the world? Okay, now that you bring that up, I'm very curious <laughs> why we want that. <laughs> yeah, because, yeah, like Facebook, yeah, back then even when people, you would like, meet once you would exchange Facebook and you know they and, had all this information about and this you. is exactly why I was off it for a decade because that got really awkward yeah yeah I'd meet someone and suddenly I had access to everything on their account and they had access to everything to mine because in the beginning it there weren't a lot of layers mm-hmm. to Facebook you were either their friend or you weren't Exactly. And I would just, then I'd see them again and I'd be like all awkward because I knew what they had for lunch for the past week and they had this super dramatic emotional moment that they, you know, had post after post about. And I'm like, I think this is too much. <laughs> it was just very strange. Exactly. And WhatsApp just got rid of all of that. What? 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 Why do we want that stuff online? <laughs> You've really got me thinking now. Because yeah. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, they're all, you, you can have private messages. Mm-hmm. But uh, the vast majority of it is for the for public consumption. Yeah. People, I guess, just need an outlet to express themselves publicly. And these social media kind of just, like, jumped on that. WeChat, you do have moments. Exactly. But moments, I think WeChat is... It's funny because WeChat is something I've been using 
on a fairly like regular basis no matter you know where I move both like the messaging and the mm-hmm. wellness option okay and I think the reason why I feel more comfortable with you know making posts on WeChat well less so now because I have like work people on there but mm-hmm. <laughs> in general it's because in WeChat for example if someone likes or comments on your photo like no one else can see that unless they're also that person's friend I've wondered about that, but yeah. not actually asked that question. Okay. Yeah, and that just, that to me was like a layer of like privacy that was great. And also, you know, they've also rolled out this new system where basically you can also just not show your complete like posts. You know, mm-hmm. they can disappear in like three days, six months, or you can hide it, oh, not disappear. Yeah. So like that was also like a privacy improvement. So it just makes yeah. people feel a lot more comfortable. Because so many times the news about Chinese internet and Chinese media gets really distorted yeah. in the U.S. So I think it's funny. That you, that's an awesome moment. I'm, I, I think it's funny that WeChat has more privacy options yeah. <laughs> than like the Facebooks and the Twitters and Instagram, especially Facebook. Exactly. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Sorry, I'm sure you get a lot of questions by people when you when you leave China about China. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And it's always like, well, how do you explain to them how this works if they've never been through it? Yeah. <laughs> And it's always like really too often it's a little too fear-based mm-hmm. and they want to hear the negative. Exactly. And it's like, well, I don't even want to answer that because one, I'm not technically from from there and I've only been there for a couple of years, maybe three if you really want to clump time together. But more importantly, they're already, they already have an idea of what they want to hear mm-hmm. and they're not going to hear anything but what confirms that. And that's an awkward conversation to have. Yeah, it helps for the person asking to just have an open mind for whatever you're going to say. But yeah. it just, it depends. <laughs> yeah, it totally, it totally does. All right, so Singapore and WhatsApp. And, oh, so school-wise, sorry, we got really different. <laughs> so there wasn't much comparison-wise in, in coursework that you were supposed to, like, do research and things like oh, that. Oh, no, right? everything was still pretty similar. You know, like, even most of the teachers you had, they were from, you know, the Western countries. So, mm-hmm. like... It felt really familiar, but um, the only thing that was different was just like in terms of students in class, class participation, how they were participating with different, mm-hmm. you know, classroom discussions um, on a general basis, at least, that didn't feel as active as those in the U.S., mm-hmm. but that's just like more of a culture thing, I think. Sure, 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 yeah. sure. Okay. Are you still on WhatsApp now? Have you kept using that? Yeah, I am still on WhatsApp, and I think the only reason is that... My best friend, who I met on exchange uh, in Singapore, Mm -hmm. but grew closer in Hong Kong because she's based in Hong Kong, Mm -hmm. she's super private. Like, she doesn't have Facebook, Instagram, Mm -hmm. anything that exposes her identity online, except for, you know, communication tools like WhatsApp. So it's something that I would just use to stay in touch with her because otherwise, we're going to probably have to resort to email or something. Or calling with a phone. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. We're, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Blasphemy. Well, yeah, we, we, we do. Well, the good thing about WhatsApp, you know, it yeah. has that too. So, like, we also just call on WhatsApp. So it's just become a thing that you would use to, like, talk to one person. Right, right, right. Yeah. Oh, okay, wait, wait, wait. Like I said, I'm pretty new to WhatsApp. 
probably a few months in. Can you actually make calls? Because I've been leaving voice messages, but can uh, you actually call someone with yeah, that too? Yeah. Oh, sweet. Okay. <laughs> I learned great. so much from this podcast. It's ridiculous. <laughs> the reason I went back on Facebook actually was because one of my guests mentioned that you could be in the groups and basically turn your timeline off. Uh, and it was the timeline part that was that really creeped me out the first time I was on. So I was yeah. like, oh, so now I'm back in all these groups for like podcasting and different things. And But I don't have to like, deal with the lunches and the far too <laughs> intimate conversations that I don't. Yeah, yeah. Like separating the yeah. functions. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I can make connections, but I don't have to see <laughs> everything. Okay, so Singapore and then Hong Kong. What mm-hmm. did... But that, wait, is Hong Kong after the U.S.? Uh, no, that was after Singapore. That was after Singapore? Yeah. While you were still at university? Yeah, it was another exchange that I did. Oh, wow. Yeah. Whoa, okay. Were these exchanges through uni- university yes. in the U.S.? They were very open about <laughs> me not being there. <laughs> about students not being there. <laughs> so was Singapore a year? Yes. Okay, and was Hong Kong a year? Uh, it was half a year. Half a year. Okay. And kind of same questions. What, what were the differences when you shifted from Singapore to Hong Kong online? Um, Online-wise, I think it's actually it's pretty similar. Like, you know, people still mostly, like, used WhatsApp in Hong Kong mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, I would say school-wise was also pretty similar. There mm-hmm. wasn't, like, huge difference in terms of how people use their online presence, but... I would say there's more, like, politically, like, heated discussions online, Hong mm-hmm. Kong at least, because, just because, you know, they're in a more politically heated environment. Yeah. So, online political activism was really big in Hong Kong, mm-hmm. especially um, when I was there, because I think it was during the time of the new elections, I think. Did you get involved in any of the, the heated political stuff? Uh, no, I didn't. Yeah. I just... Well, number one, it was not suggested by our study abroad to get involved in local (laughs) politics. And two, just because I felt like I didn't know enough about the situation to, you know, jump into the conversation. Sure, that makes sense. All right, so after a year and a half abroad, then you went back to the U.S.? Uh, Yes, I had to finish basically my last semester of university. Okay. Wow, okay, so you returned to the U.S. for one semester. Yeah. And then, <laughs> so you went to the the east coast of the U.S. for your university, but were a year and a half of that was overseas. Yes, that sounds like the perfect experience. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not the U.S. part, but but like having it be in different countries. Exactly, sounds like a really really cool experience. Yeah, did you have the intention to do that when you first started university? No, I mean, I just I don't know why, but back then I just didn't think too much about. <laughs> why I wanted even to go to university in the first place. It was one of those things. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, everyone is going. I will go. But obviously, in university, you're really pushed to make more conscious decisions about yeah. what you want to study, what you want to do with your life. Yeah. And that's when I decided that, you know, I feel like it would be helpful if I got more of an international exposure yeah. instead of just staying here for all four years. Gotcha. Now, global studies, is that politics like political science or yeah so it's it's people always joke in my university that it's like the closest major to a non-major and for (laughs) me I didn't mind that because you know I had a broad variety of interest and I liked how this major kind of gives you the opportunity to mix and match those interests Mm. because 
within global studies, there would be different concentrations、mm-hmm. or themes. So, for example, politics or global health, and there would be different area concentrations、mm-hmm. for all the areas in the world. So, for me, I chose one that had to do with politics,、mm-hmm. and then for region, as I mentioned previously, it was Asia. Asia. Yeah, gotcha. That's really cool. That's really cool. <laughs> like I said, I went to a polytechnic, and I didn't pick one engineering course. I ended up picking one that included many.、Uh, like I did a course in mechanical engineering, a course in chemical engineering,、yeah. a course like it included all of them. We were supposed to be kind of the middle managers that could talk to the business people、uh, and the engineers, and kind of be. The, so you learn a bit of everything. Yeah. So it was actually really fun for me. I didn't end up using it. <laughs> Not formally, yeah. I'm sure yeah. skills could be applied. Oh, though, massively applied to many different situations, <laughs> but not formally. But it was really fun to be able to dip into all of those. Yeah, and everybody kept saying the happiest engineers on campus or were the people in my group because、oh. they didn't have to go so far into the one、oh, the specific kind of engineering. engineering. Exactly, and I was like, "Yep, I'll be a happy one. Thank you." <laughs> <laughs> so, but global studies sounds kind of similar, where you had more variety than just someone、yeah. in political science. Yeah, you、something. were definitely more exposed to、mm-hmm. more like disciplines, basically. Yeah, that's really really cool. All right, where are we geographically? You came back to the U.S. You graduated in four years. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and then you came back to China. Did you go back up to Beijing or did you come to Shanghai?、Then? Yeah,、um, so I was in Beijing for about a year.、Mm. Yes, although I did travel a lot <laughs> in that year. In Beijing for a year, and then you moved to Shanghai. Yes. Had you visited or lived in Shanghai before that point? So before I went off to college, I briefly,、mm-hmm. you know, visited Shanghai, but that was very brief, and I didn't do anything in Shanghai <laughs> except, you know, the touristy areas around、sure. the bund.、Sure. So I don't think that was like the full Shanghai experience, but. I didn't like know the other side of Shanghai until I, you know, moved here. You know,、mm-hmm. all the little different alleyways, the lane houses.、Mm-hmm. But I think for me, why I chose to move to Shanghai is just because I just having moved around like so much in my life,、mm-hmm. I kind of just get really like itchy feet staying、mm-hmm. in one place. <laughs> and at that point in my life, I was gonna do a new job, and I was just like, you know what, I'm gonna take this opportunity to get out of Beijing because、mm-hmm. I think I had enough for now. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough, and they're really different places. Yeah, yeah. Let's stay online. Did you notice any difference in what people were doing with their phones in Beijing versus Shanghai when you made the shift? On their phones,、yeah. I would say, at least for me, I can't say for like everyone.、Mm-hmm. I think this also depends on the type of people I'm surrounded with. But very true. I noticed. I think in Shanghai, like,、uh, well, I might like delivery for food is like more widely used. Really? Yeah. Oh. What? I I, I don't know if、yeah. this is like accurate, but at least with the people around、yeah. me, because I feel like a lot of the times, whether it's because they're busy or they're、mm. too lazy to know walk and eat food, or traffic is so bad.、Uh, yeah, but no, yeah. Beijing is actually worse. <laughs> That's true, and Beijing is also huge. Yeah, geographic. I mean, it's, it's very spread out. Yeah,、also. but it wasn't until like, I guess Shanghai as well that like I got delivery not just for food but also for like groceries and everyday items because it's like so convenient.、Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah, I switched from trying to find stuff in stores to now if I can't find it 
in places I'm walking by that day, uh-huh. I will just come home and order. Yeah. Like I used to go, I can't, I don't know where, what store this is even in. And I'll look in this one. I'll look in that one. I'll message a few people and go, where would you find this? And finally I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> Everything's delivered. Exactly. <laughs> but it kind of makes the process a lot less fun. It's less of a scavenger hunt. I know, but there's so many things when you first move to a place, you exactly. know, there's so many things that you need that I was just like, that's it. I just need to get set up. <laughs> Everybody keep saying Taobao, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the number of things you can get delivered. If you can't get it delivered, it probably isn't a thing. <laughs> yeah, everything is on Taobao, but like here there's also other apps for just, mm. you know, fresh groceries mm-hmm. and it just makes life a lot easier, especially for like the really heavy items. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. yes, 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 and yes. Yeah, this was this desk was delivered. All of these mic stands were delivered. To be fair, that chair was delivered a few weeks ago. <laughs> that was delivered. Most of the other furniture is actually came at the apartment. So it was probably delivered by someone else. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, maybe. literally everything. It's so crazy. That's interesting that, that it's not as popular up there. Mm-hmm. I didn't even realize as an expat I needed a little more attention from my passport country until very recently. And why did I start to think about this? Is it because of the impending elections in 2020 in the US? No, not really. It's a simple tweet I got from a Michael Ramos and he said, Hey, Stephanie, could I trouble you to please retweet my call out for survey participants for US expat? No, not at all. I found it very interesting and I'll tell you why in a minute. But right now, I want to have Michael in his own voice tell you what the research he's working on is. Hi, guys. Thanks for your attention. My name is Michael Ramos, and I'm an American currently living in Melbourne, Australia. I've been enjoying the Geopaths podcast, and I hope you've been enjoying it, too. So I wanted to let everyone know that I'm actually in the middle of conducting a study, and I could sure use your guys' help. So in short, I've started an online survey open to all Americans living abroad who are at least 18 years old. The overall goal of my study is to better understand that unique relationship between American expats and the United States Congress. And so, if there are any listeners here who are, in fact, voting-aged Americans living abroad and wouldn't mind taking a few minutes of their time to participate in my study, please consider clicking on the link provided to access the survey. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks for your time. I took Michael's survey. What did I think? I thought it was super interesting. The survey questions were clearly trying to tease out American expats' expectations of our local and our national government. The questions did get me thinking of my own tenuous relationship with the U.S. and with the government, especially right now. And other than reporting my income taxes, which some expats from other countries don't have to do, other than that, I don't really hear from the U.S. government. I have a mailing address in the U.S. and I have an email address and I have a passport, but I generally don't hear from anybody unless something's going wrong with my income taxes. Do I want more than that? And I never really considered that question because I like the hands-off approach. I wish it was more hands-off, honestly. I don't have any conclusions. I just have questions. So I'm kind of curious what Michael is going to collect with his research. And if we're able to, I will share this information as Michael's research continues. I'd love to have him on Virtual Expats as a guest in 2020. And I'd love to have him talk about the results of this research as well. Would you like that? 
If you'd like to hear about that, do let me know and I'll extend the invite to Michael if he is interested. I'm excited that Michael reached out to us and I'm excited to hear more about what he's going to do with it in the future. Let's get back to Ting. So we've got the chronology down. Now we have some questions from previous guests on your online experience. Mm -hmm. So are you still just on, okay, you've said Facebook, WhatsApp, are those the two places in social media that you're still in? And WeChat. Oh, and now, you know, it's funny that it was after moving back to China that I decided to get on Instagram. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think Instagram was just because, you know, I was traveling so much. And I was mm-hmm. like, I should put my travel photos somewhere. Oh, yeah. So I think that was the appeal, basically. Oh, yeah. No, what they've done with pictures and videos is exactly. is pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it, they... Seriously, them and LinkedIn for some reason. LinkedIn is getting really popular. Oh yeah, I'm also on LinkedIn. That was in the middle of college, though. Mm-hmm. But you know, just to prepare for the future, when sure. we had to have this profile and like appear professional was basically what it was. Yeah, but for almost a decade, LinkedIn was just the sleeping, sleeping, sleeping thing, and nobody was doing anything except mm-hmm. uploading their stuff. Yeah, and giving that link to people. Yeah. and then all of a sudden, about a year or so ago. People started posting articles and pictures and, yeah. and different professional things and talking about their, their work day. And I'm like, what just happened? <laughs> yeah, I noticed that too. Like before I would never be on like LinkedIn looking through other people's stuff. But like now I find it more engaging to be on LinkedIn looking at the feed than Facebook. Yeah, yeah it's probably this is a terrible thing to say. One of the few things that Microsoft has taken on and made better. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I think that's probably about the time that it started to do that. So. Yeah. <laughs> Touche. Yay. Thank you, Microsoft. <laughs> so let's see. What are some of the questions of previous guests asked? Ah, Stevie, who is a life coach in Hong Kong, funny enough, oh. says, are you happy when you m- use social media? I wouldn't say happy. I'm just... <laughs> I mean, when you're on social media, you're obviously just looking for something to mm-hmm. entertain you. So mm-hmm. I would say I'm definitely very entertained on social media. That sounds borderline happy. <laughs> <laughs> We've talked a little bit about it being easy to get caught up in what you're doing online. Do you feel like you're... We play with terminology on this podcast, too. We've got IRL, which everybody uses. Mm-hmm. And we wanted a counter acronym for that so we made up one vrl virtual reality life in real life oh (laughs) so do you feel like your irl vrl life is balanced what you do online doesn't interrupt what you want to do offline in in real life basically Uh, yeah i feel like obviously sometimes you have your bad days where you just want to lay in bed Mm -hmm. and spend an hour on social media and be fine but i think overall it is balanced but right now I think a big thing that has occurred and which also relates to why a lot of people might be increasing their posting activity on LinkedIn mm-hmm. is something of like online branding, mm-hmm. personal branding, like who do you, how do you want to present yourself mm-hmm. and how, for example, how do you want to share like the different accomplishments or opinion that opinions that you have online with a wider audience, mm-hmm. uh, which leads to more people, you know, utilizing social media in their favor instead of just 
getting tangled up in social media and being a content consumer. Mm -hmm. They're mm -hmm. producing more and more content that kind of boosts their self-image. So it sounds like you, from an early age, were very conscious of what you were doing online. At any point in your like teenagehood or young adulthood, did you find yourself pulling any of your friends aside and saying, hey, do you really want to put that online and giving them some advice about their online presence? Mm. Uh, and you don't have to use names or anything like that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think, and actually not quite, because <laughs> happily, pretty much, most of my friends are pretty responsible in that. You yeah. know, they wouldn't post a lot of inappropriate things online, especially since nowadays there's a lot of articles on how employers kind of dig through your social yeah. media. So I think people are more aware of that. Mm -hmm. But... That's probably for the more public social media that we talked about, like, you know, Facebook, Twitter. Mm -hmm. um, WeChat is not so because it's more private. Like, your employer can't just search you up mm -hmm. on WeChat. Even if they're your friends, you know, you have the option to just block them. Mm -hmm. So on WeChat, I definitely, like, <laughs> sees more content that reflects, I guess, human nature. <laughs> Ooh, what do you mean by that? <laughs> People would be more comfortable with posting maybe like a screenshot of a conversation they had with friends on WeChat. Okay, I'm glad you Facebook. mentioned that. Yeah, <laughs> that that perplexes me a little bit. Yeah, when people do that, when did people start doing that? Because I've I've just seen it fairly recently. Well, the funny thing is, when we went back geographically to. Uh, mm -hmm. When I was in San Francisco, and mm -hmm. I talked about using AIM as, like, an online messenger. Yeah. So, like, back then, that would be a thing as well. If your friend really? said something, like, really funny, you mm -hmm. would kind of, like, you had this little bio where you can post it, mm -hmm. but then it would be something you would continuously update. Yeah. So it wouldn't be for long. And that was, like, copy and paste, not screenshot. But with WeChat, I think it's just always been there. Mm -hmm. In that when people post screenshots yeah. of, you know, not just WeChat conversations, yeah, any yeah. conversation on any messenger app, yeah. they would have the comfort of knowing that their friends on the other messenger apps probably wouldn't even see these messages. Right. And then your friends on WeChat, you know, if you posted, most people would have like the courtesy of maybe using some app to like smudge the icon photo sure, or sure, sure. of like whoever they were talking to yeah. and just the content. Or sometimes it'd just be like out there, but that's probably like agreed upon. Yeah. But yeah, it'll be all kind of things. Most of the time it'll be like really like fun jokes between them two that like mm -hmm. the person just wants to share, like, mm -hmm. oh, this is really funny. But then other times it could just be like huge disagreements in group chats mm -hmm. and that kind of thing that kind of just gets used to public shame people. Yeah, that's the version I've seen. I'm on like an expat legal board, and I'll see sometimes arguments between employers and the employee, and the um, employee's pissed, so they screenshot it and put it over in there, and I'm like, this is not going to help you. Yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> if they find out you've done this, that sounds like it's just going to snowball the exactly. situation, and I just, ah, <laughs> yeah. Shocked me the first few times I saw it. I was like, you do realize that person's name is there. Yeah. In every part of that conversation. <laughs> yeah, I think they're definitely maybe like a bit less social media aware mm. in terms of this kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And when people do that kind of screenshot, do they usually do it, like send it to one person? Or like my example I just had was into a group, but do mm -hmm. you usually see it 
they're just sending it to one person to say, can you believe this happened? Or how funny is this? Oh, yeah. It's everything, you know. You send, I get screenshots of stuff sent to me by friends. Yeah. Or, you know, sometimes I will send them to friends. And then you would have people just on WeChat moments mm-hmm. that would post it to the public. <laughs> and... Yeah, it would be all type of things, but most people I would say wouldn't post it to like a large group chat because mm-hmm. you know. Although I don't really see the difference between doing that and posting it on your moments. moments. Yeah. yeah, maybe there'd be more people that you wouldn't necessarily Want be in regular contact with in the group yeah. versus your moments. You can really, really control who sees yours and who exactly. sees theirs. Yeah. yeah. Still, <laughs> it still shocks me to this day. <laughs> But then I overshare on social media, so I don't know why I could because it because it's me sharing that information, <laughs> not somebody taking mine and that was private and putting it. Public. Yeah, I think that maybe that's it. Exactly. I don't know, or maybe yeah. I'm just a pre-internet chick. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no one can be pre-internet anymore. this. <laughs> I remember dial-up. <laughs> okay, but oh my gosh, I can't believe I didn't ask you this yet because you've country. Country helped is so the wrong word. You've changed countries a few times. <laughs> yeah. What languages have you used online? Language. So, of course, on Facebook and Instagram mm-hmm. would just be, like, English. Because mm-hmm. I feel like most... It depends on, like, who my friends are on that mm-hmm. platform. And mm-hmm. if they're mostly English-speaking, then, yeah, English seems like the way to go. But on WeChat, I would kind of tend to juggle around between English and Chinese, depending mm-hmm. on... What's the best way I can like express that? And I don't think it's a big deal because on WeChat it's like, obviously most of my friends is still like Chinese, but mm-hmm. then you also have a lot of foreign friends that are using WeChat mm-hmm. nowadays. So it's become this whole mesh pot of everything. Yeah, <laughs> friends, family, your colleagues, mm-hmm. people you meet at work events, everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you ever switch if you're talking to someone who knows English and Chinese? Do you do you tend to? code switch within the the messages oh yeah that definitely happens it only happens with other third culture kids i mm-hmm. guess because uh, they tend to have you know an equal grasp of those languages so it's mm-hmm. like it makes sense but usually i would just stick to whatever language i first met the person in like if we met yeah. first and we talked in like english you are this language yeah then you are this yeah, language yeah, yeah. <laughs> if it's chinese then you're this language i get that yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Have you ever deleted a social media post after you put it out into the world? Yeah, I have. I think most people most most people have. Because you post something and you realize, wait, this is not something I actually want to have out there. So mm. uh, let me just this is leave that really quick and hope no one else saw yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> I bet everybody has. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Joe, who was the first person I interviewed for this podcast. Hi, Joe. She wanted to know, do you share more stuff in real time or do you share it after the fact, like a day or two later or something? Mm. Oh, that's actually a really good question. It is. I know. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of people share in real time. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I guess I used to share in mm-hmm. real time. Also depends because a lot of functions are made for sharing in real time. Mm-hmm. I remember back when oh yeah, this is something I forgot to mention because my addiction with it was so brief. It was Snapchat. Oh <laughs> you were the first person to talk about Snapchat. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it still around? 
I think so. I, I just it's just gotten replaced by Instagram stories and oh, Facebook stories. Poor thing. And now WeChat has stories. <laughs> Everyone is doing these stories. Yeah, what is that? What is that? it just popped up like two weeks ago. Yeah. Were you only on there for a little while? I think it was like a, also one of those fads that just became so huge mm-hmm. that like you can't ignore anymore. Yeah. So I was on it. And I guess I kind of like see the appeal because it's like before maybe on social media when you post, you kind of have to think about it because it's like there. It's going to be forever there mm-hmm. unless you purposely delete it. Yeah. Whereas on Snapchat, your your head doesn't even have to go through a filter whether you want to post this or not. And most people on your Snapchat, it's going to be your close friend, mm-hmm. not going to be anywhere else. So you so feel wait, really comfortable. How long did it last for when you posted something? Uh, I think it was like 24 hours. Oh, okay. So people could scroll through for those 24 hours and they would see your stuff. But after that point, it would just go away. Yeah, that was like your stories. And then mm-hmm. you can also, you know, send picture snaps to your friends. Mm-hmm. And those were just like, once you opened it, they were gone. So you couldn't save pictures? No. But, and also like, huh. Like, okay, so for example, your friend sends you like a picture. Mm-hmm. You would like open it and it would be on the screen for like like 10 seconds, mm-hmm. 5 seconds. And afterwards it would be gone, but... You could save pictures they sent you. You just screenshot it. Mm-hmm. But then they would know if you screenshot it. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, it send them like an indication that you Like, yeah, that. yeah. So like they would be aware of it. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have to be pretty quick to also to open it and know that you wanted to screenshot exactly. it and stuff to. Yeah. Wow. But because of the temporariness, people were just free to send whatever yeah. they wanted. <laughs> that sounds somewhat dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It does. <laughs> Now, where were you when you were using Snapchat? I think it was around maybe, like, a little bit U.S. Mm-hmm. and um, more so in, like, Singapore, actually. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I've heard about it. I just haven't really... <laughs> you didn't. You did I, not. I missed that moment. <laughs> no, I, I think um, they, they also, like, purposely targeted, like, you know, students. <laughs> yeah. And my nieces were about that age, and I remember them... S- like talking about it with their mom but I just was like what another app ah, go away <laughs> <laughs> so saturated at that point I'm like no can't handle it <laughs> <laughs> so do you think that in your movement from China to the US and back and Singapore and Hong Kong and all of these places do you think that what you did online changed because of where you were or because of that stage of growing up because you've you've used online stuff longer than anybody I've interviewed yet so (laughs) we've got the complication of what you're doing in life changing a lot yeah along with your geography along with online things becoming available yeah I think I think it was a combination of all those Mm -hmm. because being like social media slow it's Mm -hmm. kind of like I didn't feel like I had a lot of control over Mm -hmm. like what online mediums I chose to like express myself Mm -hmm. It kind of just felt like, oh, you're pushed by this big wave of, like, um, what everyone else was using. And sometimes it just becomes, like, necessary that right. you have to use this tool. Right. Um, you weren't really making the conscious decision, like, oh, I, I should get on this because, you mm-hmm. know, I feel the... I, 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 like, want to or something. Mm-hmm. But I think as you get older, you have more control over it. I don't know. (laughs) Having just listened to you say that, I was like, yeah, you're so right. And I feel like I still, even though I missed, I didn't, I didn't have that wave of tech 
during my, oh, that's so funny. I listened to a podcast called The Wave of Tech. Anyway, I didn't have that digital pressure in high school, Mm -hmm. but I definitely feel like once it became, once the Facebooks and the, like I started on Hotmail before Facebook and those kinds of things, once those started to happen, I feel like even now I get kind of caught up in what's available online and what new things people are using and I'll experiment with it and like it's probably more important job-wise where things are, mm-hmm. but I definitely want to go to the places where people are because that's where you find the most stuff. Yeah. So I feel like it's still relevant even now. Exactly. To this old person right here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's kind of, it's hard to push back against the current, which is why yeah. I just find it amazing, like, my best friend is like how mm-hmm. she could just stay away from it mm-hmm. <laughs> but I guess it's easier because if you decide to not jump on the wagon mm-hmm. when it first comes it's a lot easier to ignore the rest of it yeah whereas if you kind of hopped on to whatever wagon it's like you're down this whole sloppy hill <laughs> very 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 big rabbit hole yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's so true Feel free not to answer this, but Alexandra, who was recently on Virtual Expats, wants to know, do you use dating apps? Do you or have you ever used dating apps? Mm. Alexandra, that's very personal. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I think that was also something that was like, Mm. you felt caught in a way. Because in college, I think a lot of people were like on Tinder, just Mm -hmm. like using it to meet people, I guess. Yeah. And that was also something... Do people ever really find friends on Tinder? I hear people saying, oh, I just want to meet some friends. I'm going to use Tinder. Is that real? Because I miss that entire rave. Yeah, I mean, I just... I've also become, like, a bit skeptical on that. (laughs) It was one of those things that you kind of hear people talk about Mm -hmm. so much that you're like, wait, what is this thing that you would, like, be curious to, like, want to download and see what it's all about? Mm -hmm. And I think... (laughs) <laughs> the app is like I'm gonna admit that like I do at some point like used it but like it was oh, I just enjoyed being on there and people watching <laughs> and you just like you see you know especially in a university environment you yeah. see your friends on there and it's like really funny like ha huh? <laughs> like, no so it's not I, I literally was married but well before this even came out <laughs> that's it I'm so old. So I thought it was just you saw the people that like kind of fit what you were looking for, and then you just swipe one way or the other, yeah. depending on if you. Okay. Oh, so you would see like your classmates on there. Yeah, like sometimes you would. Nice. Actually, a lot of times you would like see people yeah. you would know, and it's just like really <laughs> funny. <laughs> and yeah, it's just like it's another social media rabbit hole. It's, I don't yeah. think it's any different than like Instagram or Facebook, and that you just. You know, Facebook and Instagram, you slide down your timeline. This, mm-hmm. You just keep swiping. It's like, yeah, it's a way to entertain yourself. Yeah. Oh, I saw this really creepy video. Actually, it was really informative, but it makes you a little too aware of social media video where they talked about that swiping thing or the timeline, like when you move like this. And I, just listeners, I can't show you what I'm doing, but it's kind of like moving your finger down to yeah. go to the next part, the next part, the next part of the social media app as intentionally being like gambling. Mm. and it being like a slot machine to refresh kind of thing and that's an intentional thing that we think what's going to come up what's going to come up and it's like that kind of excitement yeah so manipulated (laughs) (laughs) but a lot of social media is just taking you know what you would you know what will happen in real life Mm -hmm. into virtual life like you people Mm -hmm. watch in real life and then it's just like there's 
now you can people watch in virtual life too. Yep. It's so true. Oh gosh, I do that so much. <laughs> I cannot judge. I am horrible online. <laughs> oh, Eva. She recently biked from Shanghai to London. Oh, wow. Anyway, Eva wants to know, what would you do if you didn't have the internet anymore? Um, so that would take down all apps on your phone, all virtual correspondence. Well, that's a big <laughs> question. I don't know. I guess people would enjoy life more and <laughs> be in the moment. <laughs> your secret answer is so peaceful. For me, I was like, yeah, three a day in, I'd start to worry and then start to pace and then start to panic. And <laughs> but I mean, I think I think this question kind of brings me back to a point in my life. I think it was college. I actually. I thought had this thought like not mm -hmm. of like just the whole online thing, but like mm -hmm. technology in general because I was a bit frustrated that like kind of in college, for example, it was a huge transition not just in terms of the school mm -hmm. like course load, but also like you discover everything is done through a projector, everything mm -hmm. is done through a screen. Like in class, you have to look at a big screen. Yeah. After class, you have to look at your computer screen and finish the work because there's no other way you can do it. Like. In elementary and like, at least when I went to elementary, like you still have the option of like writing things down, mm -hmm. um, having things on paper. You didn't have to face the screen all day. But mm -hmm. in college, it just completely shifted everything, and that just uh, that was something I wasn't very used to because high school was not like that yet. Like classes are still small enough that like teachers can just talk at you or like write on the board, and you can still hand in things that's mm -hmm. written. So I think that was like a huge shift in terms of the amount of technology I was using every single day and mm -hmm. getting a bit frustrated with it and having that thought like, why do we need all this? This is like a bit too much for me. But as with everything, like I think people get used to things really easily. Mm -hmm. So you learn to get used to that. And now, you know, at work, you really can't leave your computer. <laughs> yeah. Now it's such a vital, vital part of what we do. Mm hmm and I really wonder, like, I was in education for a while. There's so many times that I wanted to say, does that need to be on a screen? Mm -hmm. Do do we need to be talked at with a digital device? Or can we discuss this? Can we break this down on paper? Can we use the chalk? Probably not chalkboard. <laughs> <laughs> I did have a chalkboard in Nanjing, but in most places it was a whiteboard or whatever. So it's like, are there, is there any other way we can do this so we're actually talking to each other and not just looking at a screen mm -hmm. and I love tech I love I love mobile tech but I think there's a lot of times that we revert to things that aren't necessarily productive for what we need to do mm -hmm. and that kind of detaches similar to I think where you were kind of going is it just the humanity in us <laughs> kind of gets lost <laughs> in a screen sometimes yeah, it really does <laughs> yeah why do we do that what would we have done that with before like technology wise what was before this screen it probably was the whiteboard and the chalkboard. Yeah. People would actually, you know, wrote stuff. And, yeah. yeah. But I wonder when people switched from papyrus slash paper <laughs> to whiteboards and markers, mm -hmm. did they have the same sort of kind of reaction to that yeah, switch? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea. I remember in one of the teacher training things I went to, they talked about... Tech, uh, pencils was once like an innovative technology and I just went okay 
that really makes you think. <laughs> like we get so used to, like you were saying with the screens, we get so used to certain technologies just being there. Mm-hmm. Like I'm used to having a pen or pencil in my hand. Yeah. But somebody at some point had to create that. Exactly. What the heck were they using before? Oh, yeah, they were chipping it into stone or something, right? <laughs> or <laughs> oh, using... that would be slow. <laughs> or using some sort of paint that they had to make with the brush they yeah. had to, like, extract from the animal hair? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But I really wonder what will happen with our screen time. Because it is affecting our sleep, too. Exactly. Yeah. And I think in the future, it might just... If the screen doesn't exist anymore, it's going to be virtual reality. Because <laughs> it'll just be in our heads. Yeah. At that point. <laughs> what? Some black mirror stuff. It is. <laughs> it is, it is. But we don't have to be fatalist. <laughs> but but your answer is, like everything else you've described with your relationship to online stuff, sounds very grounded. Mm-hmm. You're just like, eh, I'll just spend more time in my real life. <laughs> <laughs> or try. <laughs> or try, yeah. All right, so you've heard some of the questions that previous guests from Virtual Expats have asked. Mm-hmm. What questions would you like future guests to answer hmm that's interesting i guess oh i thought of a good one (laughs) have you ever looked up looked back on like previous posts that you made Mm -hmm. after a long time and what were your thoughts when you look back on those previous posts that you made i have an entire podcast about this (laughs) (laughs) okay so have you ever i have to plug every chance i get have you ever looked back at a previous social like social media post yeah social or a bunch of previous social media posts that you made and what were your thoughts when you look back on them you know what happens next, right? <laughs> what happens next? You have to answer your own question. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, at least this one's okay to answer. <laughs> yeah, I definitely have with, like, my old blog posts. Or mm-hmm. uh, I just be like, you know, it's almost like you don't recognize this person anymore mm-hmm. because you grown out of that person you're yeah. completely something different and I just find it really entertaining nowadays to like mm-hmm. look back and like you know everyone be like oh I sounded so stupid back then but like no that was like you, you kind of learn to like you kind of look at it from a third person perspective now like mm-hmm. oh this person was like this and did mm-hmm. this back then so I think it's always it's always interesting and I always like do this when I come across it. Like mm-hmm. I, I would read through my old social media posts and just find it hilarious and entertaining and be thankful for how much I've grown since yeah. then. That's a really healthy attitude. <laughs> I listen to far too many podcasts on podcasting, not to get too meta. Uh-huh. And they say something very similar. They're like, if you listen to your early podcast episodes and you're not embarrassed, it means you haven't grown. Um, so I think it's very similar to what you just said. If you read something you posted years ago and you not are embarrassed, but you feel some sort of like emotional distance from it or you feel like that's a different person, then it probably means you've grown and matured. Mm-hmm. And that feels like a positive step. Yeah. So it's not just about podcasting. <laughs> it's about it. It's about life. <laughs> Every statement about online or about podcasting can be extended to everything. <laughs> Well, on that note, I want to thank you so much for no, coming thank out you. and being on Virtual Expats. Thank you so much. Yeah. It okay. was a great conversation. Thank you.
Thank you to our guest, Tig, for sharing her virtual story with us. For more Geopat podcast episodes, including the other two shows, Bookish Expats and Changing Scripts, go to stephfuccio.com, S-T-E-P-H-F-U-C-C-I-O. Or you can just search Geopats, don't forget the S, in your podcast app. If the podcast does not show up on your app, do let me know and I will make sure we get listed there. Feel free to reach out to me with any questions, comments, or to volunteer to be a guest on the podcast. My handle is literally stephfuccio everywhere online. As promised, here is Damon Castillo and his band with the song I Gotta Be Right off the Mess of Me album. Remember, you can find all of his info, including his albums and his tour dates at damoncastillo.com. More next week. Gotta be right.